open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Some things in life you just never see coming. Such was the case some 20 years ago on September 11th when the attacks on the Twin Towers took the United States by complete surprise. I'm sure many of us remember where we were the shock and the disbelief after target after target was hit. In the aftermath, many questions were raised. Which agency knew what? That the CIA, the, the, the FBI, is this something that we should have seen coming? We have a much more recent example in COVID-19 who would have seen that coming? I remember back in December of 19, uh, with my wife watching the news, before, still in China, before it would come anywhere else in the world, I remember saying, this is going to be a big deal. But I had no idea what, how big of a deal it was going to be. In all levels of government, there are people in positions whose sole job it is to attempt to foresee potential disaster to plan for it. Yet, for the most part, the calamities that we'll face in the future will be a surprise. However, this morning we're going to look at a threat that we should, even now, see coming. Its warning signs are everywhere. It's a dire threat, and it's right at our front door. Let's pray. Lord, we invite you into our worship this morning as we examine your word. Lord, we pray that you would speak, O Lord, and impress upon us your word and seal it to our hearts. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. We as humanity just simply tend to forget. Sometimes to be forgetful is a good thing. Uh, we take vacations to forget the office. And it's certainly a good thing that mothers, at least to some degree, forget the pains of childbirth, or there'd be a whole lot of one-child families. It can also be a good thing to forget past wrongs. However, to be forgetful, for the most part, is not usually considered to be a positive thing. Yet we can be such a forgetful people, and it's no wonder why. Time and inertia are against our memory. Old age fights our memory. Busy lives and distractions can cause us to forget. But perhaps the oddest of all the causes of memory lapse is when the Lord blesses us. And as we look into Deuteronomy 6, there's much going on here. It's only been a short time since the exodus from Egypt. An example in itself of how quickly God's people forgot their miraculous rescue. And now presently, the Lord, through Moses, is going to give us a series of training seminars on what to do and how to live in the promised land. 
for chapter 6, Moses is communicating a lesson, and it's all about remembering the Lord. When all is said and done and the Lord is blessing you in the promised land, don't forget him. And this is what we're going to pick up in verse 10. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give you, with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. There is great emphasis here on who is doing the blessing and who is being blessed, isn't there? When the Lord brings you into the land, into cities that you did not build, houses you did not fill, olive trees you did not plant, it is the Lord who blesses. And he loves to do so. But this blessing also comes with a warning. In all this abundance, take care lest you forget the Lord. Now, I'm well aware of the present challenges in Canada, but by and large, we in the West are blessed with far more abundance and prosperity than most generations of the earth have ever known. And so this lesson from Moses is one that should resonate with us to a large degree. When the Lord blesses us here in Canada, take care that you don't forget him. And so the Lord wants to make it clear to us this morning that his blessing comes with the grave possibility of not only forgetting him, but having dreary eyes to see the warning signs of an ominous cataclysm that we should be alert to. A warning to beware that we not drift off into the sleep of comfort and plenty when we should have been on our guard. In the verses that follow, God's word is going to give us symptoms of what forgetting the Lord looks like when we are given so much. We found our first symptom in verses 10 to 12 that we just read in that inherited prosperity comes with the risk of entitlement. Houses full of good things, food in abundance, take care should you take them all for granted, assuming upon the goodness of the Lord. Most of us here have worked hard at jobs and some businesses that are doing well, but in the big picture that is Canada, its history, its founding, the overwhelming blessing and freedom we have had little to nothing from our hand. And the concern here is that because for most of us, our freedom and blessing is all we have ever known, any slight shift in our liberty or finances seems a great upheaval because in our mind, we are somehow owed what we have. The idea that prosperity is our right slowly settles in around us like a dreamlike fog that lulls us into an unbreakable trance that tomorrow and its blessings will be just like today. Jesus warns in the parable of the rich fool who was assuming upon tomorrow with all his wealth and suddenly died. 
And this assumption upon tomorrow is a part of our nature as well. And both history and the Bible are full of illustrations of this. Uh, think of Belshazzar in Daniel 5. And we all know that history where Belshazzar is going to get together with his friends and, and party and they're going to praise the gods of wood and silver and stone until we know that fateful moment, right? When the hand of the Lord came and inscribed the judgment upon him and his kingdom. And yet even after Daniel tells him his kingdom is going to be destroyed, he still clothes him with purple and covers him in gold. And yet that night, Belshazzar is killed. Invasions just don't pop out of nowhere. Historians say that the combined Median and Persian armies have been diverting the Euphrates River for years so they could enter under the walls. The fog of assuming upon tomorrow swallowed Belshazzar. There's another example in history. In the book Distracted, one historian writes, on an August day in 410, when the Goths brutally sacked Rome, the Emperor Honorius was in his country house in the Adriatic, attending his beloved flock of prized chickens, all named after imperial cities. Then one day, a servant came in, all a fluster, and said, Rome has perished! Honorius was, was stunned. Rome? Perished? It was not an hour since she was feeding out of my hand. The Chamberlain had to clarify himself. He'd been talking about the imperial city, not the bird. So much blessing, so much decadence that our human nature becomes blind to our own demise. Tomorrow will be just like today. It reminds me of my first economics class. Actually, it was my first class in college ever. It was all new to me. We're gathered into the amphitheater, and, and the, the professor just starts talking. I better start taking some notes. This is all new. And I'm writing some notes, and the very first words that came out of his mouth left such an impression on me. And he said, good times kill businesses. Well, of course, he's got to be wrong, right? Good times are when businesses thrive. It's when they do well. But just as we're talking about now, good times become assumed upon. It's always going to be like this. Tomorrow will be just like today. And since there's going to be some good times coming up, we're going to start buying some things on credit. And we're going to start building that new addition and some new work trucks and some employees. And he says it doesn't take a crash in the economy. Just a simple downturn. And the business quickly goes under. Listen closely as I read Isaiah, Isaiah 56. The Lord rebukes Israel's irresponsible leaders, saying, the dogs have a mighty appetite. They never have enough. But they are shepherds who have no understanding. They've all turned to their own way, each to his own gain, one and all. Now listen to their refrain. Come, they say, let me get wine. Let us fill ourselves with strong drink, and tomorrow will be like this day, great beyond measure. Assuming upon the kindness and generosity of the Lord, instead of being alert to a calamity that they should have seen coming. So what should we see coming exactly? Are we caught in the fog of assuming upon the Lord's goodness? What is it? 
that is looming on our doorstep. Hyperinflation, maybe. Global warming. World War III. Hmm. Let's carry on. Another symptom of forgetting the Lord is that there is no fear of the Lord. Look to verses 12 and 13. Then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. When there is no fear of the Lord, there are so many other fears ready to jump in its place. Look what we have right now. So many things to be afraid of. Diseases and variants of diseases. Inflation and supply chain woes. Governments lacking wisdom and tempted to overreach. Then there's severe weather and global warming. Big tech companies. Wars with Russia and maybe soon with China. Not to mention our personal health or the fear of our own death. So many reasons to be afraid. And I haven't even cracked the lid on the millions in North America with social anxieties. As a people, we are afraid of so much. But we're not afraid of God. To fear the Lord can be a little difficult to parse quickly. It means different things depending on where you stand. When we are born of the Spirit, when we're born again, we become children of God, and, and there's a love relationship with a gentle Father who adopts us as sons. There is therefore no condemnation for those in Christ. So what fear looks like is quite different from those who don't know the Lord. However, we're still part flesh, aren't we? There is still a part of our nature that we wrestle with that has no thought for God. There's still a part of our nature that we wrestle with. It's desires, it's, it's lusts. And the fear of the Lord stands in direct contrast to those longings. So even for those of us who know the Lord and love the Lord, it's wise to remember the God of Mount Sinai. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Amen. For those who do not know the Lord, it's a different story. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 10. You have fear? Do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Hmm. This fear of the Lord is serious. Our sin cannot coexist with the holiness of God and will be destroyed at the eternal fire. 
The fear of the Lord should be equally terrifying for those who claim to be Christians yet walk in hypocrisy. Hebrews 10 says this about those claiming Christ who deliberately go on sinning. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine. I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Then verse 31 of Hebrews 10. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Just as C.S. Lewis would write of Aslan in the Chronicles of Narnia, he is not a tame lion. He is an all-powerful and holy God, and we will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And all this to say, should you find yourself constantly plagued by the fears of this life, you may have lost perspective. The Lord tells us to place all our anxiety on him for he cares for you. And this unhealthy fear may be a symptom that the fear of the Lord is taking a back seat and you are forgetting God. It is the Lord you shall fear. Otherwise, you will be blind to the coming dread. What dread? What are we not seeing? Is it a great earthquake, perhaps? Or maybe it's the coming of the Lord. What is it? There's another symptom that we are letting the memory of God slowly disintegrate in our minds. Verse 14 goes on to say, You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people who are around you. Now I'm just going to go ahead and take a guess that you don't have any of those funny-looking idols in your living room. No? So maybe we get a pass on this one. Or maybe this context will help clear things up. Worship has been defined as what we focus on or what we spend our time our money, or our energy on. So then using this metric, do you have any other gods before you? What are you doing with your time? Church and all its ministries will always just be there when we want them, right? I hope the last two years were a serious wake-up call. Are we taking every opportunity to keep the Lord in the forefront? What about adult Sunday school? Is this a priority? Personal devotions, family time around God's word, Bible studies? Pastor Kevin has been putting on a special class for men. Any time for that? Maybe there are a few gods vying for our worship. How's your giving? It's interesting. Uh, we as elders, we have no idea how much you give to the church. We believe, believe that's between you and the Lord. But many of you are doing well in this area, actually. As we can see in the general numbers, it's, it's interesting, and it's a, it's a telling story. When we lose 25% of our people over the span of two years, but less than 6% of our tithes, 
That's a good sign for those of us who are still here. Some of you are very generous, and we praise the Lord for you. However, for others, your money is becoming your God. So much focus on your money. And as we've seen, our hearts tend to follow our wallet. When I was talking with Barry yesterday regarding some finances, he said he remembered a preacher from all the way back who stated, show me a man's checkbook and I'll show you his dedication to the Lord. Oh. Are you focused on and worshiping the Lord with all your heart? all of your soul, all of your mind, time, money, energy? How are we doing so far? Any symptoms of forgetting the Lord? Assuming upon the goodness of the Lord? A fear of everything but the Lord? Distracted by the gods of this world? These all create a heavy fog. And as the fog slowly settles in, we begin to lose sight of the Lord. And as a result, we lose sight of the menace that we should see coming. Its warning signs are everywhere. Do we have eyes to read them? Ears to hear them? As this dire threat is about to strike. So what is this threat? This great and fearful catastrophe is most likely not anything that we're currently preparing for. It's not World War III. It's not global warming or an economic collapse. It's not a famine or some new and strange disease. The disaster that we should all see coming is not that you would forget God, but that God would forget you. The great calamity is not that you might have inadvertently lost interest in God, but that God has no thought for you. Let's take it from verse 12. Then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. You shall serve him, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. Now here is verse 15. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord be kindled against you, and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. Wow. Matthew 7 describes this dismissal of our souls in great detail. Most of our life, assuming upon the Lord's goodness, not fearing him, allowing so many distractions and gods into our lives. And now the tables are turned and the irony is thick. Having a life of dismissing God and brushing off his preachers, now before his throne on the day of judgment, it will be you who are frantically trying to preach to God how good you are. It'll be you who are preaching, protesting, and calling out for anyone who will hear of your goodness. 
Lord, Lord, did I not? Followed by a long list of really good works. Then, after your long-winded and pathetic sermon, God's declaration will come down like a thunderclap. I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I never knew you. God has forgotten you. He doesn't even know who you are. But won't God show mercy? Oh, but he has. And he is right now. The Lord has shown great mercy, a mercy so deep and without measure. God sent his only son to earth, the perfect and spotless Lamb of God. And upon him, God laid the sins of the world, and the wrath of God fell upon him. Mercifully, he died in our place, and God rose him from the dead so that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Mercy upon mercy. But the great and enduring patience of the Lord won't last forever. And there is coming a time for the wrath and the judgment of the Lord. And first Peter says, it will start with the household of God. So what do we do? How do we stay alert and not forget the Lord? How do we fear the Lord and avoid becoming complacent? How can we keep God from forgetting us? Moses' lesson in remembering the Lord actually begins in verse 4, so let's go back. In verses 4 to 9, we're given four ways to not forget the Lord. Look to verse 4 as Moses speaks in the context of he had just given the Ten Commandments in in chapter 5, and now he says this in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words I command to you today shall be on your heart. How? Verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children. So number one, you don't want to forget the Lord? You shall teach God's word diligently to your children. Now, you may not be a parent, but you do belong to a church family. And sometimes, once or twice a year, we have child celebrations where we come up and and the parents dedicate themselves to following the Lord and and upbringing their kid. But at the same time, we as a congregation read together an agreement that says, we're with you. This is a team effort. And how many times mom and dad haven't our kids come home from Sunday school or Awana with some new and profound teaching from God's word that we've been trying to drill into their heads for years. And so thank you. And what a blessing as we just saw the Awana teachers that we have, the one another's to teach God's word to the next generation, the Sunday school teachers. And not only is teaching a benefit for the younger generation, but it'll be a serious benefit for you as a teacher as well. 
you want to really make sure you know something? Teach it. The second way we do not forget the Lord is to be constantly talking of his word. Verse 7 again, you shall teach them diligently to your children, and now the second half, and shall talk of his commands when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. This passage is really talking about what the heart loves. From Matthew 12, the mouth speaks that which fills the heart. Is this you? Is your heart bursting with the things of the Lord so much that you can't help but talk about him? His righteousness, his justice, his loving kindness, prayers answered. What about around the campfire? What about at two-pitch, at hockey, on social media? How about with fellow believers? Wouldn't it be rather sad for a group of friends who know the Lord, visiting for hours, and the Lord never once enters the conversation? If the Lord's commands and his word are constantly on your lips, it'd be rather hard to forget him, wouldn't it? The third way to not forget the Lord is found in verse 8. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Now, we could start wearing frontlets or binding it to our hands, but what about binding God's word to our hearts? Psalm 119 speaks of this. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Are you memorizing God's word? It's a powerful defense. When the trials of life advance upon us, yet God's word is right there and it's drawn up. Or when bitterness knocks on the door, even when the fears of our own death creep in, our soul can be fortified with the recollection of God's promises. Let me not wander from your commands. Thy word have I hid in my heart. To not forget the Lord or be dull towards the approaching calamity of his wrath, teach God's word to the next generation. Constantly be speaking of his commands. Find God's word to your heart. And now the final instruction in verse 9. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And I believe we can take this quite literally. And some of you are really good at doing this. You go into the bathroom and there's a little scripture uh, inserted in the mirror there. Uh, in your entryways, there's Bible verses in your living room. Uh, years ago, I went to a camp and they took God's word and they laminated it. And they put it in the kitchen workstations. They put it in the bathroom where you wash your hands. They put it everywhere where you might stop for a minute. And it's highly effective to see God's instruction wherever your eye turns. There are some disasters that humanity just won't see coming. There are 
some catastrophes that no one will predict. But the threat that the Lord might forget us, with clear eyes focused on his word, we can see that threat coming a long way off. And what's more, Jesus says in John 15, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. As friends of God, there are no surprises, as we know what our master is doing. He gives us clear instruction on how to have peace of himself and a loving relationship with our Savior. So what about you this morning? Are you a, a friend of God with a close relationship? Or have you been so distracted by other things that God has forgotten you? Better check in. Are you assuming upon the Lord's goodness? Do you fear the Lord? Judgment starts with the household of God. Are the gods of this world getting more focused than the Lord? More of your worship? If this is you, it's not too late. There is still time to love the Lord your God with all your heart. For those who do love the Lord their God with all their heart, and his word is their delight, the Lord does not forget them. Listen to Isaiah as I close. But the righteous said, The Lord has forsaken me. My God has forgotten me. But listen to the Lord's reply. Can a woman forget her nursing child? That she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget. Yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands, and you are continually before me. For those who know the Lord, the great cataclysm of his return is not a disaster at all, but indeed it is our hope and our greatest expectation. Can you say along with the Apostle John, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, you are mindful that we are but dust so prone to wander so inclined to take good and blessing from you yet forget the hand where it came from Lord, of so many fears and so many distractions around us we ask that you be patient with us and gently guide us with your word that you and you alone may be the center of our worship we thank you that we can have a relationship with you and that you never forget your own. Lord, we thank you, we praise you, and we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.